We're in Jeremiah, the 44th chapter. And tonight, the title of the message is, uh, When God Says Enough is Enough. And if you're familiar with where we're at in the book of Jeremiah, or you're not, I'm going to give you just a really quick recap. Jeremiah has preached and preached and preached to the nation of Israel to repent, that God wants them to repent, that if they will repent uh, and submit, that they will not be judged, they will not have their city destroyed and carried into captivity. They have thrown Jeremiah into prison. They throw him into the stocks. They threw him into a, a dried out well to die. Um, just they called him a traitor. Uh, that's what his ministry has been. And we looked back just a few chapters ago that the judgment of God has finally fallen and the city of Jerusalem has been destroyed there in chapter 39. Many people are killed. Many are carried into captivity. But the Babylonians tell Jeremiah, you're free. You can either come live with us or you can stay here. It's whatever you want. We looked how the nation of Israel then revolted again over the ruler that the Babylonians had put there. And uh, then there was a skirmish between those people and the people that were left in Jerusalem and in Israel were terrified that the Babylonians were going to come back and defeat them again. And so if you remember or look, read back last week, the people come to Jeremiah one more time and they say, Jeremiah, what should we do? Should we flee? Should we stay? Whatever God tells us, we will do. And Jeremiah tells them, don't go anywhere. God's going to protect us. God's going to provide for us. And not only do they call him a liar, but they take him captive and drag him to Egypt with them. I mean, just think about that. Not only have they not listened to Jeremiah, not only have they made his life miserable, that at the last act of disobedience, they take him into captivity with them. This is not the Babylonians. These are his own people and force him to go to Egypt. And if you're any familiar with this, God tells him, you can run to Egypt, but it ain't going to stop. They're going to follow you all the way to Egypt and judgment is coming. And so tonight when we see here in verse 44, uh, chapter 44, God speaks to Jeremiah again. And I want you to think about this as a parent, right? You've probably told your kids, that's enough, right? You, you've got a little too rambunctious. You've, you've played too hard. Now you've broke a lamp, right? Enough is enough. And tonight we really see when God just says, enough. I have done this long enough with you. I have been long suffering. I've been forgiving. But yet, judgment is coming. Total and complete judgment is coming. And so tonight, if you have those notes with you, I gave you two open lines there in the first one, and I'm sorry it's not lined up. Now it's even bothering me. But God is long-suffering and gives us many warnings. But yet the second part of that is, God is holy and will punish disobedience. So tonight I want you to see what I mean by that here in verses 44. And we'll stop as we go through this. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews who dwell in the land of Egypt. I don't want you to miss that. Because earlier it was to the Jews who were in Jerusalem. 
Then it was addressed specifically to the Jews in captivity. Then it was to the Jews that is left in the land. And now it is the Jews that is in Egypt. And this is significant because it is God making sure that they know that He knows where they are. No matter where they're at, God is saying, I'm speaking to you. Because sometimes I think we can feel like God doesn't know where I'm at. Right? I feel like I'm alone in this prison, I'm alone in this bad situation, and I just feel like God has abandoned me. And on the flip side of that, I think sometimes we think that if we sin in certain places, God doesn't see it. Right? If I, if I sin alone at home when no one's watching, then no one else knows about it. But what we see here is that in the good or the bad, God is aware of my location. Who dwell at Migdal, at Tafnanes, at Noph, and in the country of Patros, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You have seen all the calamity that I have brought on Jerusalem and on all the cities of Judah. And behold, this day they are a desolation, and no one dwells in them because of their wickedness, which they have committed to provoke me to anger in that they went down to burn incense and to serve other gods whom they did not know. They, nor you, nor your fathers. However, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. And so right there you hear that God is saying, I sent the prophets every time. And I didn't just send some of them. I sent multitudes. And this idea is from the beginning to the time of judgment that God warned them and warned them and warned them and warned them. But look what it says in verse 5. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their wickedness to burn no incense to other gods. So, my fury and my anger were poured out and the kindled of the, in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, and they are wasted and desolate as it is this day. So you see the two points I wanted to show you that God is long-suffering, right? I have warned and warned and warned, but there comes a time when God says, I am not warning anymore. And that's where we see this second part here is that God does punish disobedience. Because in verse 7 it says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, why do you commit this great evil against yourself to cut off from you man and woman, child and infant out of Judah, leaving none to remain? and that you provoke me to wrath with the works of your hands, burning incense to other gods in the land of Egypt where you have gone to dwell, that you may cut yourself off and be a curse and a reproach among all the nations of the earth. He's saying you're doing the same thing that I just punished you for. You ju- this is just now happening again. It's kind of like if a kid was to go up and touch a hot stove and still as the hand is burnt and they're crying, they reach up and touch it again. Right? Even a child knows, I'm not touching that thing 
twice. I can uh, remember here recently, I can't remember which kid it was, Kyler or Andrew was plugging in a, 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 I think it was my laptop charger, and it kind of shocked him, right? And so knowing me, the next time I needed it plugged up, I was like, hey, do you want to do that? Oh, no, no, not doing that. Why? Because she remembered what had happened. But God says, why? You're doing this again. And look what it says there. That you may cut yourselves off and be a curse and a reproach among all the nations of the earth. Have you forgotten the wickedness of your fathers, the wickedness of the kings of Judah, the wickedness of their wives, your own wickedness, and the wickedness of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? They have not been humbled to this day, nor have they feared. They have not walked in my law or in my statutes that I have set before you and your fathers. If you're taking notes tonight, I want you to write these three things down there at the bottom. How to stay where God wants you to stay. And it starts there in verse 10. Humility. He says they have not been humbled. You see, God was trying to humble them and they wouldn't listen. And so the second thing is, not only humility, but we have to have a reverence and respect for God. We're not just humble because of ourselves, but we're humble, but yet we also have a fear of God, a reverence, a respect. Which one? Humility, uh, uh, respect, or fear of God. Not in the sense that we fear punishment, but we fear and respect correction. And so we are humble and we have reverence, but it doesn't just stop there. Then we walk in His ways. That means it's obedience to His Word. You see, some people are very humble, but yet they don't have a respect and reverence for God. Some people would say in their hearts that they are humble and they even give lip service to respect God but yet their actions don't meet up. And so tonight, if you want three ways to just really be where God wants you to be, in any situation, you can apply that in your personal life with God. You can apply that in your marital life. You can apply it at work. You can apply that at church. One, we all have to stay humble. right? It's not my church. It's not your church. It's not your way of doing things. It's not my way of doing things. We all have to recognize that we're all sinners. We all can have good ideas. We all can have bad ideas. We all have moments where we look like Jesus and moments where we don't look like Jesus. And so we're all just what sinners saved by. And so we're humble. We should be humble. There is no place for pride in the church. It is nothing that represents Jesus. But yet we also aren't just humbled in who we are, but when we're here we reverence God. That it's His people It's His people that He have put together. It's His church that He has built. And so we're thankful to do it His way. And then third, as a church, we have to find out what God's Word says and follow that. Whether it's about missions or giving or serving or forgiving, that's how we have to apply it. In marriage, to get a little more specific and close to home, we have to both recognize in a marriage that we're both sinners. (laughs) Right? The only thing good in us is Jesus. 
And out of that, though, we have to recognize, though, that I don't just love my wife because I love my wife, but that God has put us together. And what God has put together, let no man tear asunder. It's a respect for Him. Marriage doesn't work when it's just two people. You have to have a respect and reverence for the God who puts you together. And then third, what you have to obey God and how to love your spouse. Whether it's the husband to the wife, the wife to the husband. These three principles can be applied to every situation and can truly put you in a place where God can work through you. Thoughts? Disagreements? Questions? All right, verse 11, as we walk on through this then. Therefore, so God is saying, because of all I've just said, now this. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will set my face against you for catastrophe and for cutting off all Judah. And I will take the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to go into the land of Egypt to dwell there, and they shall all be consumed and fall in the land of Egypt. They shall be consumed by the sword and the famine. They shall die from the least to the greatest by the sword and by famine, and they shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach. For I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem by sword, by famine, and by pestilence, so that none of the remnant of Judah who have gone into the land of Egypt to dwell there shall escape or survive, lest they return to the land of Judah to which they desire to return and dwell, for none shall return except those who escape. I want you to hear the significance of this. God brought them out of bondage, slavery, and destruction in Egypt, right? Leads them out. They lead themselves back to Egypt, and God gives them the judgment that they would have had if God had not been involved in setting them free. But I also want to show you this, that the people that were captive and taken into slavery, those are the people that God used to preserve the Jewish people. It wasn't the people that avoid slavery. It wasn't the people that ran to Egypt. And so even though God allowed them to be slaves, God allowed them to be taken into captivity, allowed them to lose their homes, their blessings, and everything, God used that to protect the fact that He promised the Jewish people that they would always exist. That doesn't even make sense, right? Why would God use that? But that's what he was doing. And so today, if you are reading the Old Testament and the New Testament and, and this beautiful picture of how God has preserved the Jewish people, it wasn't the people that escaped that he has preserved. It was the people in bondage. And so tonight, I really want you to think about that. That when things seem to fall apart around you, when you are going through the storms and difficulties of life and everyone else seems to be avoiding the heartache and pain of life, you have no idea what God is going to accomplish in the future through the situation that you're in and the blessings that the other people are going to miss by not going through the difficulties. And so think about it like this. You have integrity at work. You won't cut corners. 
Your boss wants you to cut corners. He makes your life miserable, right? Miserable, miserable, miserable. You don't get the promotion. You don't get any favor. You hate going to work. Your coworker, who is drinking buddies with the boss and golfing buddies with the boss and their kids hang out together, he cuts every corner that the boss, whoa, asks him to cut. He gets the promotion. He gets the recognition at work until the boss of the boss of the boss realizes what's going on, right? That one boss, the one guy that you're working with, seems like he's out free, right? He's getting all the breaks. He's getting all the favor. But when the boss's boss's boss finds out, he fires the boss and the co-worker, and they are now what? Both out of a job, and yet you have persevered. And I don't know how God uses that or doesn't use that, but that's how God works. I don't know the results of what He's asked me to do in the moment. He just asked me to be what? Faithful. And Jeremiah is a beautiful picture of that. Jeremiah was was faithful for years and had nothing but heartache and pain and difficulties, but yet God kept speaking to him. And so I really want you to think about that tonight, that what looks like a train wreck now, what looks like a heartbreak now, what looks like challenges and difficulties that don't make sense. You have no idea how God is building relationships and working and moving and how He's going to use that in the future. Thoughts. They say it takes 20 seconds to form a a question, so I'm going to to take a few deep breaths. But I want to leave you with this verse here if you've got these notes in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, they're talking about the day of the Lord and, and all this judgment that's coming and, and what's been going on and, and some of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Because God's timing and ours is not the same. Right? And for us it seems like He has just tarried and tarried. But listen to what it says in 2 Peter the third chapter, verses 8 and 9. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we don't know if it's exactly that way in heaven, if one day is exactly a thousand years, or He's being figuratively that time is differently than heaven. I personally believe if it says that, then that's what I believe, okay? And so, but he's just giving us this promise that God works differently and on a different timetable than we do. And so his long-sufferingness, his judgment, sometimes to us seems unfair, right? Why is God allowing these people to get away with this? Or why hasn't God worked this way? But yet we need to be reminded that God is long-suffering, but yet he is also also holy and will respond. So second thing I want to show you tonight is that disobedience always, what is wrong with that kid, leads us to think that God will not respond. Disobedience always leads us to think that God will not respond. And uh, how many of you, I know this is a, this is a pet peeve of mine. Have ever been in the store or at a family gathering with someone with small children? And they say, 
if you do that again, you're going to be in big trouble. And the kid does it again. And the parent says, if you do that one more time, it's going to happen. Kid does it again. Parent gets really mad. I'm telling the voice gets to raise, right? Gets awkward for everybody. I'm always like, hey, I'll spank that kid if that's what you really need. I mean, I'm, no, I'm kidding. I don't even spank my own kids, hardly. I mean, I spanked two of them. Was it last night? I thought I broke my wrist. But anyway, and it goes on, right? And you sit there for this length of time and you think, if that parent don't do something, and then you see the kid grow up and they have no what? Idea of consequences, do they? And all of us are that way when we're living in sin. Doesn't matter what the sin is. When I am in sin, my desires and flesh always will tell me God's not going to do anything to me. There are other people that sin worse than me. And I want you to see here in verses 15 through 19. This is from God to Jeremiah who has prophesied all these years and never been wrong. Then all the men who knew that their wives had burned incense to other gods, with all the other women who stood by, a great multitude, and all the people who dwelt in the land of Egypt and Patros, answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord. Don't miss this. We will not listen to you. But we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and pour out drink offerings to her as we have done. We and our fathers, our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For when we had plenty of... Oh, yeah, we're still going. Okay. Plenty of food, were well off, and saw no trouble. But since we stopped burning incense to the Queen of Heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. The women also said, And when we burned incense to the Queen of Heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, did we make cakes for her to worship her and pour out drink offerings to her without our husbands? Permission. Now this is a loaded four verses. And so if you didn't like me when you got here, you probably won't like me when you leave, but that's okay. I want you to see the significance of this. These are not people who are just coming in off the street saying, I wonder who this God is. These are people who have witnessed it. They're in the land of Egypt that had witnessed God's power at the beginning of the Exodus. I mean, this is... This is literally the most utmost form of rebellion that you could say. Is yeah, it might have came from the Lord. It did come from the Lord, but we're going to do what? The exact opposite. Absolutely. Yeah, they came to Jeremiah. They asked him his opinion. He's told them. But I want you to see here a couple principles that apply to all of us when we're in sin. And you say, well, I'm never in sin. You're a liar. All of us are sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even after we're saved, the flesh is not dead. There's always the temptation to sin. 
And so tonight I want you to think about this. Have you been telling God no? Yes, God, I know your word says I shouldn't say these things, do these things, think these things, but you are verse 16. And not only have you said that, but you have then proceeded to live that disobedience. And so that's how it starts. We tell God that He's wrong in our hearts. We disobey God in our actions. But don't miss this. We lie to ourselves about how good it is. Do you see what they said? Well, we never had any trouble when we were worshiping the false gods. But when we stopped... I want you to look up here for a second. In 44 chapters, they never stopped. They kept on worshiping the idols. They, for a moment, made a false profession. Remember when they let their slaves go? And then when the enemy's armies left, they went and got their slaves back and brought them back into slavery. And so what happens in our Christian walk, when we're in sin, that's what we do. Well, you know, I've never really failed faced any consequences and I've had this bad attitude all my life. I've never really faced any consequences and I've had this filthy mouth and no one knows about it. That's how we get. right? I've got a job and I'm not honest at work. I'm wealthy and I've never been honest on my taxes. I'm in part of a good church and I've been causing trouble for years. That's how it goes. I've not treated my wife right for years and she's stayed. I've not read my Bible to my kids and prayed with them in a family devotion and they're not too bad. You see, that's the same thing. And all of us do it. I do it. Um, So, this week, my wife has been outside two times where lightning has struck in our yard. And my response to her was, you need to repent and get right. Because, right, you always say, be step back from that person, the Lord might strike him. And uh, I should have taught my oldest one because now she said, Mom, I think you need to repent and listen to Dad better. But anyway. <laughs> no, the Lord is long-suffering. He just keeps warning her and warning her. But uh, So anyway, we've had some... It, we're thankful it didn't hit her because like I said, split a tree anyway. But um, um, but it's this this idea though that and we were joking about it, which she does need to repent. We all need to repent, right? But I don't think the Lord was, you know, firing him down at her on to make her, you know. But she was very thankful that she didn't get struck by lightning. So, um, but in our walk with God, how, how do we do that? We make excuses and say, oh, you know, things are good and things are fine. We, we come to church and act like things are fine when they're not. We, we, we convince people that our marriages are good and they're not. And, And what we're doing here is we're saying that our sin is really not that detrimental to us. Things are fine where I'm at. I've even seen that from new Christians. Someone gets saved, they give their heart and life to Jesus, they start following the Lord, and it just seems like it starts to fall apart around them. They're like, man, I I never had this trouble with my family when I was lost and I was drinking and swearing and cursing and lying. And Man, I went to our family reunion and tried to talk about Jesus and ain't nobody will speak to me now. Or man, I had all kinds of friends at work when I was going out with them and living the same way they did. But man, I'm telling you, when I got serious and I started taking my Bible to work, it was like I had the, I had COVID and I was there, right? It was like just scattered. 
I'll never forget when I rededicated my life to the Lord. And that first night I took my Bible into Walgreens Distribution Center. One, people saw me carry my Bible in and thought something had happened bad. Right? They had thought this, it all has fallen apart. But I tell you what, it didn't take very long for me to go outside and sit with the smokers after I wasn't smoking anymore. For me to realize I wasn't welcome out there with my Bible open. Probably shouldn't have my Bible out there anyway, but maybe I should, I don't know. But anyway, it didn't take very long for me to realize I needed to go in. So I went inside, sat by myself. Thankfully though, the Lord brought some godly men into my life and we all sat there together and talked about the Bible and offended every other table sitting around us though, you know. And uh, But I never will forget that. I mean, I hung out with them people at the spot. I hung out with them people at the the uh, the Sportsman's Lodge north of Mount Vernon. I, I hang out with them at the, uh, the what's the, no one's going to answer this one. What's the tavern just when you're going north of Mount Vernon that's got the food there? Uh, you go, oh, huh? The, yeah, Frosty Mug, yeah. Heath is not shit. <laughs> and there's the one going out east of town. You go past Tuxus on the right, the silver. Yeah, everybody's shaking their heads. But anyway, you just go over the food, I'm, I'm sure, right? Yeah. But I, I mean, we hung out all the time in those places. Yeah, we'd go together. But it was just amazing. It was like I was no longer invited. No longer invited. And I know why the Lord did that, because I couldn't be anywhere where it was where I couldn't be a part of it. My temptation is just too bad. That's why even to this day, I can't be around it. I don't get near it. I don't take hardly even Tylenol because I have such an addictive personality. For me, it is not acceptable. I cannot be around it. And so, but yet in the middle of it, we lie to ourselves, don't we? Things were better then. Things aren't terrible now. But I want you to know that disobedience always leads us to think that God will not respond. And here's the one where your OCD is really coming out bad here from this verse in Matthew. Listen to how Jesus described the days of Noah. But of that day and hour, no one knows, talking about His return. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so all will be drinking and marrying and... Oh, sorry, will be the Son of Man be. So for as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. We know that as Moses or Noah built the ark and he preached for 120 years, right? There's no flood coming. There's no judgment coming. What, what is a flood, right? But when that ark door closed and God closed it and the rain began to fall and the Bible says the depths of the uh, ground opened up and released water and the canopy above collapsed and they realized then what? We're in a mess. And friends, that's like Dr. Adrian Rogers always says, right? You've heard it a thousand times. Sin takes you farther than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. That's how it is. And so tonight, don't think that you can get away with God not responding to the sin in your life and in mine. The New Testament example of this is the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. That doesn't mean that you take it with your left hand instead of your right hand. right? It doesn't mean that you take it from a big loaf or a little loaf. It means that when you come to honor that act of worship, 
that there is sin and disobedience in your heart. And that's what it says. It's a blatant lifestyle of rebellion against God. And it says in there that what? Some people have gotten sick and even died. And so sometimes God says enough is enough. Thoughts or examples or questions about all of that. Absolutely. There are people I I like to match up myself to, right? I went and and ate at the buffet at Ferris's on Saturday, which Dave wasn't there because he was at his aunt's funeral, you know. I'm looking around, I'm like, I only ate one, one and a half plates. Well, one and three quarters. <laughs> you know, somewhere in that range. You know? I see that other person go back three times. I'm not near glutton as they are. Mine was not all bacon. It was, <laughs> mine was that, mine was that um, shredded potatoes with all the meat in it. That's my favorite right now. It's got bacon in it. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's how I justify it, right? Or I'm in a ball game and I have a moment where I lose my temper. Well, I, I ain't been yelling as loud as that grouchy mama for the last seven hours, right? I, not near as bad as them. Well, I come to church more than most people. Or I pray more than this person. That's how, that's how we are. So God is long-suffering and gives us many warnings. God is holy and will punish disobedience. Disobedience always leads us, or you could put lies to us, to think that God will not respond. And third and finally, when God pronounces judgment, He will follow through. He will follow through. And so look here in verses 20 through 30. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the people, the men, the women, and all the people who had given him that answer, saying, The incense that you burned in the cities of Judah... And in the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings and your princes and the people of the land did not remember, did not the Lord remember them? And did it not come into His mind? So the Lord could no longer bear it because of the evil of your doings and because of the abominations which you committed. Therefore your land is a desolation, an astonishment, a curse, and without an inhabitant as it is this day, because you have burned incense and because you have sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord or walked in His law, in His statutes, or in His testimonies. Therefore, this calamity has happened to you as it is this day. Moreover, Jeremiah said to all the people and to all the women, Hear the word of the Lord, all Judah, who are in the land of Egypt, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, You and your wives have spoken with your mouths and fulfilled with your hands, saying, We will surely keep our vows that we have made to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and pour out drink offerings to her. You will surely keep your vows and perform your vows. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all Judah who dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no more be named in the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt, saying, The Lord God lives. Behold, I will watch over them for adversity and not for good. And all the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt 
shall be consumed by the sword and by a famine until there is an end to them. Yet a small number who escaped the sword shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah and all the remnant of Judah who have gone to the land of Egypt to dwell there shall know those words will stand mine or theirs. And this shall be a sign to you, says the Lord, that I will punish you in this place that you may know that my words will surely stand against you for adversity. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give Pharaoh Hophra, king of Egypt, into the hand of his enemies and into the hand of those who seek his life, as I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar's king of Babylon, his enemy who sought his life. He says the only people that are getting out alive are the ones that can verify what happened. That's it. They are leaving a witness so that they can testify that this happened. But I also want to show you one thing here that I think is very significant in our lives as I close. Pharaoh reaped the consequences of whose sin? Judas, right? God was pursuing Judah for judgment. And Pharaoh and his kingdom fell as well. And tonight I want you to remember this always. Not only will you be affected by the sin of other people, your sin will affect other people. My sin as a father can do great damage to my children. My sin as a pastor can do great damage to you. Your sin as a parent can do great damage to your children. And your sin as a church member can do great damage to other people. If you've ever listened to me pray, which I think that you most have been here enough, when I pray for a baptism, I always pray for the person and then I always pray for who? The church. This church. That we might love each other in such a way that it will be good for them to grow up here and to look back and say it wasn't perfect and we definitely could have had a better preacher. But it has been good to be a part of this church family. Why? Because how many new Christians, how many new families have been destroyed by the sin of a pastor and the sin of a church. Now I know what you're saying. Our love for God is bigger than the failures of other people. Absolutely. But you tell that to, your, to my two-year-old the next time I promise her that I'm going to take her skating. And I call and say, I'm not coming home to take her skating. It don't matter that someone died and I had to go to the hospital and, or the funeral home or, or wherever it was. To her, she heard one thing. Dad's not coming to fulfill His promise. And you do that enough, no matter how good the excuse is, and you will do some major damage, right? And that's the same way. That's the same way for a new Christian in a church. It's the same way for a new family. It's the same way in our walk with God that we have to be very careful. Those people that I work with, yes, they know that I'm a sinner. They know that I'm going to stumble. They know that I'm going to fall. But if I have cussed them out seven nights in a row and then apologize, they're probably not going to believe the fact that I am sorry. And the damage to my witness is probably, possibly, permanently destroyed. And so tonight I really want you to think about that in our life as a church, in your life as a family, as your life as a husband or a wife. That when judgment comes, when God allows sin's consequences to come home, it doesn't just affect us. 
Isaiah 26 says it like this, and we'll close. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For the Lord comes out of His place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover their, her slain. Sometimes God moves you to protect you from the judgment that is coming. And so you say, well, Jake, I don't understand why that, that friend that I've had all these years and I don't have that relationship anymore. I don't understand why we're not as close as we used to be. Maybe God has moved you to protect you because there's something in their life, there's something that's going on that could affect you. And so tonight I just really want you to think about that, that when God pronounces judgment, He will follow through. Thoughts, questions, concerns, disagreements, please, I don't have all the answers, but I will try my best. In the high places and the low places and... And it was amazing because sometimes the kings would do well, right? They'd, they'd tear down some high places, but then the Bible would say, but they didn't tear down this or they didn't tear down that. And so Israel never repented totally. They never turned. And that's what we see a lot, I think, in today, right? We, we talk about repentance. We talk about salvation. We talk about forgiveness. But people want forgiveness, but they want to continue going this way. They don't want to what? Repent and turn from the sin. It's, well, I want to keep a little bit of my former life. I want to keep a little bit of my old relationships. I want to keep a little bit of my sin. And that's just not how, how God intended for it to be. Other thoughts? I had a section in there about husbands and wives and the idols, and but I left that out tonight for the sake of time and stonings. But... Uh, uh, but there's some significance in there. You very rarely see in Jeremiah him addressing the husbands and wives and that nature and the worships. And if I guess you're going to get it anyway. But <laughs> it notices there, if you notice there, the wives said, uh, they asked the question like, that, that you think they didn't know what we were doing. If you read in there, I think it's, I can't remember what verse it is. But it was literally saying the husbands are trying to portray that it's our wives, right? It's kind of like in the garden. If you're familiar with that passage of Scripture, Adam, why have you eaten this? And then he goes, that's exactly what happens here. And so literally, husbands, I want you to hear this tonight, that you can play the she's headstrong, she's bossy, she doesn't listen, but God made you the spiritual leader of your home. And one of these days when you stand before God, you will give an account. And so I just want to throw that out there as we close in prayer. But uh, but I want you to... Absolutely. Absolutely. I ain't scared, like I said. Uh, but uh, that's, that's significant in there too, but we just don't have to take the time to, to touch all that tonight.